everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. When you start to think about what the power of e-commerce is for a B2B organization, e-commerce can really become the engine that powers the acquisition efforts of a company, especially because we can get in front of hundreds of thousands of customers a month, whereas the traditional B2B sales force might only touch hundreds of customers per month. Without question, the last several months have accelerated e-commerce adoption and drastically changed consumer behavior. The entire sales lifecycle from finding a prospect to closing a deal has been turned upside down. Now, two key obstacles lie in the path of e-commerce leaders. The first is the more obvious, more discussed problem. How do you operationally and technically need to change to meet your consumers' evolving needs? The second key obstacle is not as often addressed, but is equally as important. How do you then communicate to your customers that even in these changing times, you are equipped and ready to meet their new needs? The binding and laminating business doesn't sound like it would be ripe with insights into answers to both of those questions. But Jeff McRitchie, the VP of e-commerce at Spiral, is here to prove that assumption wrong. Jeff has nearly two decades of experience in the e-commerce and digital space. Just last year, his own company, MyBinding.com, was acquired by Spiral, where he now helps lead e-commerce operations. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Jeff explains what it has been like merging his e-commerce business with a more traditional binding company. He shares some of the challenges he's faced along the way and what methods and strategies he's leaned into to find success. Jeff also discusses tips for building out a winning SEO and content strategy and how e-commerce is playing a larger role across the entire business, including in customer acquisition and content marketing. All of that and more is in today's episode. Enjoy. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Welcome to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles. And today on the show, we have Jeff McRitchie, the VP of e-commerce at Spiral Binding, My Binding, and Binding 101. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I was excited when I was looking through Spiral's background. It looked like you guys started in 1932. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been around for a long time. Yeah, I think that'll make for a really fun conversation because I'm sure that the company and you have seen a lot of transformation over the years. So that'll be fun to dive into later. Mm-hmm, for sure. Tell me a bit about Spiral. What is it? Um, how do I think about what you guys do? So Spiral is really a company and we've, we've built ourselves around helping people to um, bind presentations and proposals. 
right? We do a little bit of laminating. We do a little bit of, um, a little bit of other things, but really we focus on a, a lot of binding. And, um, and so we sell the, the equipment and the supplies for people to be able to bind um, presentations, proposals, books, and training materials. Right. And those are probably the, the primary things um, that kind of uh, come out of it. And so we're a niche player in the office products market um, is one way to think about it. And we're an interesting uh, hybrid of a company because we sell a lot in B2B, a lot in sort of a B2C or B2B2C sort of a space. Um, and then we also have like uh, some kind of really interesting sort of national account sort of business as well. So kind of a, a little bit of a, you know, um, an evolving company. We're a manufacturer and a distributor um, at, at the same time. Um, so uh, we, we kind of have lots of different faces, um, which uh, presents some really cool challenges from the standpoint of being um, in a digital transformation or e-commerce role. Very cool. So how long have you been at the company for? So my story is interesting, but I actually um, uh, co-founded a company called My Binding about 17 years ago. And last year we sold to Spiral. So, um, so I've been with Spiral for just over a year now in this sort of digital transformation role, um, but with my binding, which was more of a pure play um, uh, e-commerce space. So we, we grew and, and we were the largest sort of binding e-commerce player in the market. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we joined forces essentially with Spiral, which was the largest sort of B2B player in the market. And, uh, and now we're sort of like one force together, uh, you know, going after the binding and laminating market. Oh, interesting. So what was that process like where, you know, you had your own company, you guys were you know, selling online and then joining a company that maybe wasn't doing as much of that. What was that uh, process like when it came to incorporating your company into an existing older company? There's definitely some upsides, right? So suddenly you have increased purchasing power, you have, um, uh, you know, more access to talent and capital. So those were amazing things. But the integration side of things is tough, right? I mean, you're trying to merge systems and figure out how everything works together and, and learn the language of a new company. And so some of that stuff's not as easy as, um, as it should be, as well as trying to figure out where exactly are they on the sort of like landscape of digital transformation and how do you, how do you navigate that? when we were pretty much like a, an e-commerce or digital first organization, that wasn't really their background. So now we're figuring out like, how do we be both? Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, that's a pretty big challenge actually. Yeah. That sounds really difficult. What does the customer journey look like for spiral or what did it look like compared to my binding? I guess the best way to think about it would be that, you know, in a B2B to C sort of e-commerce experience, we were really building our business around a large number of transactions with a large number of customers, essentially small transactions to a large number of customers. And on the more traditional B2B model, the traditional sort of side of the spiral business would have been around a small number of transactions to really big customers, you know, which is, which is pretty typical when you, you look at like this idea of like traditional B2B and more like an e-commerce B2B sort of experience, right? And so, um, or at least a B2C to B2B to C sort of experience. So, uh, so that was the, the really interesting thing is, is that we were dealing with customers from all over the country that in, in almost every industry that you can imagine, but most of them were rather small. 
and we are filling specific needs for those customers. And when on the spiral side, you were looking and saying, hey, like they had deep relationships, relationships that went back decades in many cases, right, with, with organizations where they were, were the supplier of choice. They had like complex contracts and all of those kind of things. And that was never really part of the e-commerce world, right? Like, um, yeah, and, uh, and so trying to figure out how do you merge those two uh, together to get the best of both. That's, it's not easy, but it's really kind of fun, actually. Yeah, I can imagine that takes a lot of training for their existing customers who are used to those contracts and kind of used to things being done a certain way. Like, how, do, how are you maybe going about training the customers who are used to doing things the old way to be like, hey, we actually can do this online, digitally? Slowly. <laughs> yeah. yeah <so laughs> any best, any lessons there that someone can take away if they're going through the same thing right now within their org? Yeah. So, so you don't have to do it all at once. And so our approach is really to be, to allow customers to interact with us the way they want to interact with us by giving them better options. So really like, um, you know, the priorities for this past year have been to try to integrate systems and then upgrade our sort of footprint so that we can um, allow um, the company to sort of put its best foot forward. So, you know, um, really starting with the e-com side and getting everybody on the same platform and then tied into the same systems. And now we're actually probably just a couple months away from launching our brand new B2B e-com experience for the traditional spiral customers. So essentially we kind of have been allowing uh, them to continue to exist and deal with the company in the way that they used to while improving the, um, the experience and then bringing the, the platform up for the entire organization. And, and so I, I guess one of the things about especially B2B e-commerce is that it, it gets really complicated, right? As you tie in lots and lots of systems and a lot of kind of interesting rules right? Customers want to deal with, um, with you in the way that they want to deal with you. And so, so what we've found is, is that we have to build specific experiences for our different customer types. Um, and so that's the approach that we've been taking. And, and I think that's a good approach from the standpoint of you're not trying to force everybody into the same sort of uh, experience because not everybody wants to deal with it in the same way. Right. Um, you know, and, and as a large organization that sort of deals with these sort of different um, challenges, we have to answer questions like, do you display pricing on the front of, end of your website? Right. Or is it a login only experience? Right. What pricing do you show people or, or what price, pricing do people get and how do you control that and how do you manage that and how do you make sure that that experience is personalized for I individuals? And then there's the age old question, which is really challenging in an organization that has multi channels. And that is, is like, how do you deal with the channel conflict? Like whose customer mm -hmm. is that? Right. Like, you know, um, yep. and, and I guess it depends on who you would ask. Right. Because everybody thinks that the customer is theirs. Right. Um, yep. You know, and and yet ultimately the customer needs to deal with the organization in the way that the customer feels the most comfortable, not in the way that the organization feels most comfortable. Yeah, that makes sense. What things did the legacy customers get hung up on the most when you guys are making this transition and, you know, trying to show them that like a new platform is coming? Like, is there similar themes of things that they're like, oh, I don't feel comfortable with that or, oh, I don't want to move because of this? I think when it comes to customers, most customers want technology, right? Um, like, I, I mean, they, they, they become comfortable. So I think that they don't want to lose functionality, right? Um, that's been probably one of the hardest things is that even if that functionality wasn't the best, like they become comfortable with it and they don't really want to lose that. And yet they do want a best in class experience. 
And one of the hard things that we all have to deal with in e-commerce right now is, is that the bar has, has been raised. There are people who want more and more um, features in terms of their online shopping experience. And so what you find is, is that you need to be able to roll these things out, but you need to make sure that it doesn't make things harder on those customers. And especially, you know, longtime corporate customers, they, they're really dependent on these things working smoothly and easily. And that's actually one of the hardest challenges in, the, in this process has been, okay, well, we've done a lot of cool things for customers over the years, like one-off, you know, you, you, you build a feature on the website just for that one customer. Well, mm-hmm. like trying to then redo that and, and, and not lose a substantial amount of functionality for specific customers, especially large customers that you have like these really deep relationships with, that's, that's pretty tough. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that next when you mentioned that you were kind of personalizing the experience for certain customers to make them feel, you know, more comfortable or hearing like what they want and trying to incorporate that into the platform. How do you go about picking out what things, you know, you should maybe personalize or uh, like give to the customer without kind of going down a wormhole of like having a personal experience for every customer? Ultimately, we're kind of taking an approach of, of first saying, what's the best in class experience that we could build? right? Like what are the things that are going to be the best for all of the customers? And then looking and saying, hey, can we in our roadmap put in the flexibility to accommodate for these many things that customers have asked for? How can we build this in such a way that we can add that on or this on? And I'm not sure that we always, you know, nail it just from the mm-hmm. standpoint of like, it's pretty tough to keep everybody happy. But we're kind of taking the the approach of, hey, if we can make it substantially better for everybody, you know, it, it may not be perfect, but it should be a dramatic enough improvement that they'll recognize that we have their best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. It seems like some of those requests might also fit other customers as well, or it might be something where they're like, oh, I actually wanted that and never thought to ask. So it could be helpful when it comes to product development on your side or, you know, like technology development. Yeah, totally. And, and we have a really good team um, that we use to build out stuff. And so, uh, and we're able to iterate fairly quickly. So that's the good news, you know, because sometimes we miss something. And so, but as long as you can respond fairly quickly to a customer's needs, you know, it, it gives you an opportunity to serve them better um, and to communicate. So, but the other really important part of this is really getting the account managers and your salespeople involved in this process. So you get some really good feedback. Because one of the challenges that we face, at least, is, is that sometimes as the e-com department or the, and on the technology side, you don't always get like raw feedback. And maybe the stuff you're hearing is from the people who are yelling the loudest, not necessarily from the people who are, um, who are trying to help you. And you're not necessarily hearing about the, the features that are going to make the biggest difference, the most number of users. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So with this whole replatforming and... Um like new tech stack that you're going to be launching, what kind of, or what pieces of tech are you most excited about showing to the customer or, you know, bringing online that maybe wasn't there before? You know, so for us, it's really about like an enhanced user experience. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of, kind of been a little bit on the old school side um, on the, on the traditional B2B uh, piece of it. And so this gives us the ability to provide like a really much uh, better experience end to end in terms of transacting with us. So uh, some of the things um, that we're, we're aiming for that are kind of harder than I was thinking they would be right. Um, would be like real time freight quoting. 
right? So when you're a B2B company and you've got um, a distribution network across the country and you're trying to figure out how much that pallet is going to cost to go to this customer, right? Um, you think, Hey, like that should be super easy. That's like a, in, in the e-commerce world until you start to realize, well, it's really important that you get that right. And you don't, you have to first know where all that's going to ship from. So like a, one of the biggest things is like a, a really deep integration with our ERP. So we can understand where the, where the inventory resides and then how much it weighs and the sizes and all those kind of things so that we can do that on the fly. Uh, because right now we kind of do like a, you know, like an ad back type thing. Like we'll say, hey, mm -hmm. we'll tell you what the freight is later. And customers don't like that, right? Not a, especially yeah. not in the e-commerce world, right? Um, you know, and so uh, so um, you know, getting that upfront. Same with sales tax calculation, right? Like right now, a lot of that's done on the back end, and people want to know upfront. And so that means building a system that has management for resale certificates and all of those pieces. Like I need to understand where are you exempt and where are you not exempt and what are you exempt from and uh, all of those kind of things so that I can quote you and tell you what the sales tax is going to be up front before you place your order. So that's a, 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 like another piece of it that's, uh, I, that we're kind of excited about. Uh, requisition list is another one. So where people will have their own custom sort of price lists in the system where they can quickly mm -hmm. order. Uh, we're building a system where they can upload like a, you know, an Excel file with all of their items um, that they want. Uh, so they can do quick ordering and quick reordering. I, I guess those would be a, a few of the systems, like a, a like a, a quote management system to allow people to request pricing on items. And then for us to respond to them sort of live and track that inside of our system is, a, is another one that we're building. So those are all kind of like areas where we're saying, hey, like this could really enhance the the user's journey and make it a lot easier for them to do business with us. Oh, that's great. Yeah, th those sound like some great changes. Have you had any customers trying out the platform as like beta testers? And have you seen any um, difference when it comes to average order value or anything? So we're not quite there yet. So okay. uh, we, we finished design and we're in the midst of development at the moment. So I, I would say that, you know, that's going to be one of those steps prior to launch, right? We'll be first to have the, you know, the sort of sales associates and account managers, you know, uh, jump into the platform and test it for themselves. And then to really get, especially key customers in the system testing, and then also giving us feedback. Like, what do they love? What do they not like? Um, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and what, how can we make it better for them? So that's sort of on the roadmap before launch to be able to say, hey, you know, like, you know, is, is this better for you? Right. Um, and it's funny because like on a traditional sort of B2C um, e-commerce launch, you'd be focusing so much on the front end and like the my account pages are taking just as much time for this mm -hmm. site because that's where our customers are living. Right. Like um, they want to use the search, but they really want to use the my account pages. They know what they want and, and they need to be able to quickly reorder it. They need to be able to see their orders. They need to be able to have the ability to upload those requisition lists. You know, yeah, so that it's, it's a little bit of a twist, but, uh, you know, getting them especially into those my account pages so they can spend some serious time, you know, understanding their accounts and telling us, you know, what they like and what they don't like is going to be really important for the launch process. Yeah, that's really interesting about focusing on the my account page and how much time they're spending there. I'm sure that things like product suggestions or, you know, like also bots might be very important on that page to help uh, showcase items that maybe they wouldn't otherwise buy when they're just quickly uploading something or just reordering. Are you guys experimenting with some of those suggestion features? Most definitely. Yeah. So that 
that's part of the part of the vision, right? Is to try to figure out and say, okay, we have these deep relationships with customers, and they buy specific sets of products. How can we expand that uh, sort of purchasing uh, product set, right? How do we get them and introduce them to uh, complementary products, you know, and and show them the right pricing in the right place so that they can say, hey, I should totally add that on, or that's something that I should consider. And, and it's an interesting challenge for us because we have different sort of personas or, or groups of people that we're dealing with. You know, on, on one hand, we're dealing with dealers and they're really reselling product. And so you're trying to, to show them maybe categories of product where they need to expand uh, because they're buying for specific purposes. And then you have end users and those end users are, you know, um, you might want to show them a different size or a different color, you know, and so we're, we're experimenting with what the best sort of algorithm is that we can use to show them the right product and then also in the right places too. <laughs> That's great. What test are you most excited about that you're pitching to everyone right now and some people maybe aren't sure about? So I'm, I'm actually most excited right now about the lead gen side of our business. Um, yeah, so, tell me more about that. So when you, when you start to think about what the power of e-commerce is for a B2B organization, e-commerce can really become the engine that powers the acquisition efforts of, of a company, right? Um, especially because we can get in in front of hundreds of thousands of customers a month, whereas the traditional B2B sales force might only, you know, touch hundreds of customers per month, maybe thousands, but not definitely not hundreds of thousands, right? What, what, what does it take for us to build a really cool, robust system to not only bring these leads in, but then to try to, to figure out how do I score these leads and then not only take them and turn them into an immediate sale, but to determine which ones of these really can be turned into those more traditional B2B accounts that we have these deep relationships with that are going to buy from us for years to come, um, you know, many tens of thousands of dollars, right? So the, the really kind of uh, exciting part to me is looking at that and saying, okay, we are on the e-commerce side, on the, on the B2B2C e-commerce piece of it, we almost have too many leads. We get so much um, traffic that comes in. So then how do you figure out, take all those leads and build a really robust system where you can, uh, where you can make sure that they're getting exactly what they need and you're closing as many sales as you can. But then how do you figure out a way to pass those accounts up, the right accounts to the right people so that you can build them into, you know, a much larger long-term sustainable program. And so for that, for us, that means like building a really cool inbound sales team that makes sure that we take care of those leads and that we foster them and, and do all the things that we need to do, but then building an outbound sales team as well that's going to go and then say, hey, let's take these leads and take them to the next next level. And then also figuring out a system for passing accounts up and down inside of the organization. So you, you really want to be able to pass um, a lead up or, or a customer up that has substantial potential to be either a national account or what we'll call like an enterprise level account. Um, but you also want the reciprocity of getting those accounts back or the, the smaller accounts back from the team. And I will say that no one wants to give up an account, right? So that, mm -hmm. that's a big challenge inside of an organization when you're trying to say, hey, uh, like I'll give you some, you give me some. Um, the way it usually ends up being is like someone, like everyone wants to receive, no one wants to give, right? Um, so, um, you know, but the system only really works if you can give the best, but then also that you can receive quality back, right? So, um, you know, so for instance, like uh, handing back to the e-com team, only the accounts that don't do any business doesn't really, isn't really a win. 
right? Um, you really want your enterprise salespeople focused on enterprise level accounts. So we're having to, to sort of wrestle through what does that look like in terms of structure? Um, and I don't know that we really have it all figured out yet, but it, it's, it's a cool idea. Yeah, I'm guessing there's a way to kind of automate that and create rules. So it, like you said, can go up or down depending on certain criteria from when they're coming in. How are you all thinking about automating that process? So it's maybe less of a like salespeople having to like give and take and whatnot and more like, oh, this is automatically routed to you based on these metrics. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what we're doing. So we're exploring, um, you know, machine learning and, uh, and, and sort of like big data to try to figure out a really good way of scoring customers. Because mm -hmm. using that scoring, you can figure out how to pass customers up. And then a set of rules as well that says, you know, like if these customers aren't of a certain size or, or if they have this kind of profile, they really belong in this group. So, um, but, it, but it, it's an interesting challenge from trying to figure out how, where do you get all this data from and then how do you process it? Um, and, uh, and so we're kind of exploring different options right now in terms of what that might look like and how we can best approach that without spending a ton of money um, before we bet that it actually works. Yeah, that's really cool. So outside of the prospect giving that information, what kind of things are you looking into right now to find the information to help with that scoring process? So it's actually kind of challenging. Like you have certain pieces of information that are given to you, you know, which you have usually like a name and an address. Their email address usually has a domain associated with it, especially in B2B. So you can pull a lot of information from that. And you can start to sort of sort your domain, um, your, your customers by no domain. But really, we're looking and saying, okay, well, we do know their purchase history. And so the idea then is, is like, okay, so if you were to sort all your customers out, you can sort them on a scale of, let's say, uh, like a, a one, two, three. You could say, my best customers spend the most money with me, and my worst customers uh, spend the least amount of money with me. But that really misses part of the point. So you almost need to add a second access access to this, which is really about customer potential. And so when it comes to customer potential, we're looking at the idea of like, what, what would it take for us to, to add, you know, some big data to this, to understand the size of their company and the, and the profile of the company that they come from or the industry that they come from as well, because industry can be really important to us. But then the other side of it is also looking at what they purchase. So like, for instance, people who purchase um, specific equipment or supplies, they're going to um, have a, a much higher lifetime value with us because those are proprietary or have like maybe um, like a really good pull through, pull through rate. So for instance, like it may, may not be that it's a proprietary supply, but when you buy that machine, you have to go through a lot of supplies to make it worthwhile. So you kind of look at the data and you say, okay, that's, that, ha that customer has a huge amount of potential, not because of the amount that they bought from us, but because of what they bought or who they are, the company that they work for or their position. And we're looking at the possibility of maybe even extending that into some of the databases out there that help you understand like whether people are in market and what their roles are as well. Cause mm -hmm. um, when you're dealing with the B2B, you're not really selling all the time to the company, you're selling to a person inside of the company and that person has a role. And so you have to figure out, okay, well, what role do they play in this, um, in this picture? Right. And that, that helps us to sort of sort them into personas. And if you're dealing with a really small number of accounts, you could sort of figure this out, but we have to automate it because it's not really feasible to do that um, in a one-off basis. Yeah. Definitely seems like you're going to need a, a whole entire data or business operations team who can kind of build those, uh, rules out for you and have dashboards. And right. that seems like a big, big project, but well worth it. So 
earlier you mentioned that you guys have more traffic than you know what to do with and lots of leads coming in. And of course, my first question is, how are you getting this traffic? Like, how are you acquiring uh, potential customers? Sure. So, I mean, um, so we're in a niche industry, right? Uh, so uh, that's part of it. And we've been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, at least, you know, like Spiral has been around 80 years, my binding for almost 20 on the web. And, and as you start to look at that, we created a massive amount of content, thousands of videos and, and uh, pages. And we really have, in a lot of ways, the best websites in our sort of space and industry. And so because of that, people are finding us to solve problems. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so what you find is, is that, um, you know, we, we built out these websites and either through SEO or through, um, paid search, we're driving a ton of traffic to these, we- to the websites cause they convert and, and that makes a ton of sense. So we're essentially, you know, we have all of this content and it's really, you know, designed around this idea of like, how do we solve these problems for customers? And so, um, and, and we can drive more and more of that content. The website deals with a certain number of those those sort of leads and uh, and converts on its own, right? The challenge for us tends to be, what do you do with the people that are maybe a little higher in the funnel, right? So you're now talking about making sure they have a really awesome uh, call center that is going to be able to answer those questions. Live chat is really big. So we've extended our live chat hours all the way to midnight, you know, which is unheard of in the sort of B2B space. But I'm like, I, I, I want somebody there to talk to somebody if they have questions about products especially really big products. We're experimenting with the idea of um, like doing triggers uh, for live chat. And so we, we did that and, um, and that was really successful for us. So we, we turned on a trigger and said, you know, with the, the idea of like, if I walk into a store, somebody says, hey, how can I help you? We did that on the, on the e-commerce site and we had massive numbers of people that were engaging with us. But the surprise to us was is that many of those people were actually much higher in the funnel than we were used to dealing with. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so in other words, they were now engaging with us and they weren't ready to buy. They were in the research phase and they had lots of questions, which is really cool. Um, but it, it just changes the model a little bit. And you, you all of a sudden have to figure out how, how do I staff up for that? And how do I make sure that I have the right person to answer those questions? So that's part of it is like driving the leads really comes to how do you acquire traffic, right? On scale, and like really good high quality traffic for the site. And then the question is like, well, what can you do with it? Right. And, um, and driving the traffic is, is really exciting from a standpoint of it doesn't have to be done in one way, but you kind of have to be maybe a little bit creative to do it uh, because you really are trying to get in front of people that have problems rather than uh, at least in, in our space, right? You don't come to a binding website unless you have something that a binding website, like a problem that the binding website can solve. Right. It's not exactly mm-hmm. like a it's not, not exactly a um, like an impulse purchase. Right. You're going to show up and you're um, you're not going to just browse around. Oh, I wonder what kind of binding machines they carry. Right. Like you probably <laughs> are on a mission to solve some sort of problem. Right. You know, like whether that your boss has told you that you need to buy a binding machine or you need to upgrade the, the way that your reports or presentations are going to look or you have a deadline of Friday and you need to get these reports out for the annual meeting. Right. Like these are all sort of really common sort of scenarios. And so then the question is, uh, will this product work for my specific need? That's a question that our customers are constantly um, asking. And so building to that um, is a, is, has been a really great sort of acquisition model for us to really to build around the idea that every customer that comes to us 
comes to us with a problem that we can solve for them. And then figuring out how do you work backwards to that or what, what problems could we solve? And then as you start to get creative with that and build like massive amounts of content, that content sort of lives out there forever. So that, that's been really a big part of our success is really, you know, the longevity, but also the content generation sort of machine that we've built over the years. Yep. So how has your, like, what is the style now today? Is it only educational? Is it humorous? And how has it evolved over time? So we've tried a lot of things over the years. We've tried to be funny. I, I mean, I yeah. think I think we think we're funny sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> like, um, uh, you know, um, we've tried a bunch of different things. We've tried um, to be really educational and it was really hard to figure out the ROI of that. And so what we've really if you were to look at our content, we do a lot of content that is really close to the bottom of the funnel, but that would be really helpful. So we, we go with that sort of helpful thing as well as deep. So the idea of like building out a really sort of, you know, robust, you know, and, and large set of content over the years about products. So we spend a lot of time making sure that we have all of the details about the product, even to the point where our competitors come to our sites to look up products mm -hmm. because they don't have as good of information as we do, right? Um, and so that, that's one piece of the content side of things for us. We have a lot of like how-to videos. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we did a bunch of experimenting around the videos and we found that um, the videos that people really cared about would basically answer uh, like a couple of quick questions, but mostly it was like, will this product work for me, right? And how does yep. this thing work? Right. You know, and so we made a whole series of those videos, almost 5,000 of them that are really around the idea of like, how does this product work? And a quick demonstration, essentially, usually around a minute long that takes the product out of the box, shows someone how to use it. And those really work well for us because they um, they convert to uh, they show a customer, you know, generally, whether what are they looking for? Um, a lot of customers, they want to see what it looks like. Or they have a machine already and they want to say, like, is that the thing that works with my machine? Like, they don't understand our language, you know, and so uh, th those videos have worked really well for us as well. That's great. Are there any surprising pieces of content that you didn't think would work that did or surprising sources of customer acquisition that you wouldn't have looked into before? You know, like we've had a few like sort of blog articles that have found traction in the in the world and the web that I have I, I wasn't really anticipating. We we've written a lot of content over the years. Most of the blog articles get like a little bit of traffic. They're they're kind of like evergreen content, a little bit of traffic over a long period of time. Um, but mm -hmm. occasionally we'll we'll end up with one like you know something about like how to laminate without a laminator. Right. Um, and that's a good one. <laughs> and amazingly, um, you know, like there's a lot of people to look up that. And I, I was kind of shocked, right? I'm like it consistently drives more traffic than almost any other blog article for us, which is kind that's of funny. odd. I'm not sure it drives a ton of business because they don't want to buy a laminator. But, um, you know, yep. um, but but if you think about it, like it, there, there's a whole segment of people that have maybe a prob problems that we don't traditionally associate with our business. So that, that would be one thing. And then the other piece would be the language piece, right? So it's, it's always surprising when I discover that the language that we use internally for our business doesn't match the language of the customer, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, an example would be like, we talk about binding covers all the time, right? Because we're, we're in the world of binding. But like a lot of people, they just talk about cardstock. Well, in the yep. paper world, cardstock doesn't even exist. It's not a thing. 
people will talk about is like cover weight paper, you know, index weight paper, right? I mean, cardstock is like this sort of like crafting term, and yet it's sort of uh, taken on a, a vocabulary of its own in in the world. And so when people search for binding covers, often they'll they'll use that word. And so mm-hmm. that's an uh, that, that's always surprising to me as well. Like, and there's a whole list of those things where people have have basically they choose to use their own words to describe things and now you're trying to figure out how do how do i um be technically accurate about this product but really use their language because if you don't use their language then you're not going to show up in searches for the stuff and they're not going to feel comfortable with it right that's a really good reminder especially with like generational shifts that the new consumer might be using completely different language than what you're used to how are you exploring what that language might be? I mean, especially a company that, you know, has been around since like the 30s. How, how are they figuring out like, oh, this is what they call it now. This is what the kids are saying these days. Yeah. Um, probably the easiest thing uh, for us is to look through our search results. Mm-hmm. And, and especially the no results found ones. Right. Because like often it, it's those things like when people are typing in stuff, you know, in the search bar and nothing's popping up and, and you look at that and you're like, oh, uh, like a smart merchandiser, someone who understands your products really well, they start to make those connections. And they're like, oh, wait a second, that's what they mean, right? You know, yep. and, uh, and obviously a lot of that's like spelling mistakes and things like that. And you can fix those in, in your uh, search engine. But but when you start to look at it, you start to see sometimes patterns. So that that's one of the easiest ones. The other two that are r- really helpful for us would be Google auto-suggest, right? So just start typing things in Google and then figure out what Google thinks that you should add to the end of it. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and all of a sudden you realize, okay, maybe people are searching for maybe a, a slightly different side of things, um, than, than, uh, we thought they were. And then the other one would be, um, Amazon. So Amazon, like their product titles are awful, right? Um, and yet they sell so much. Why? Because they really, uh, they tie into language, right? Like, uh, and they have usually products that have all these different words in the titles that you would never imagine. So as you start to look at products that are really uh, successful on the marketplaces, you can start to realize, okay, well maybe they're onto something there. Like they've managed to call out either the most important attributes of that product, you know, in a very search centric uh, sort of model, or they have really been able to, um, to hone in on maybe keywords that we weren't thinking of when we've been building this out. And especially because, you know, often you start, with whatever like a, a point of reference would be the manufacturer's title, it, it becomes quite difficult sometimes to sort of detach from that. But Amazon uh, detaches automatically because they let people come up with their own titles for stuff, right? So yeah. um, usually it's the sort of ecosystem that will change the title to try to optimize. And so um, sometimes when you find really successful products there, you're realizing, oh, maybe people do care about that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's really good tips to remember about yeah finding those keywords and how to discover them because yeah i think even long term keywords would probably be really good for your industry i'm thinking how would i you know google something like that i would probably be like how to create a hardcover you know book for my presentation or something like really long winded like right. that so really good reminder about the keywords importance yeah and then and then obviously you have your paid search stuff too 
right? Like you can look and see in your result in, in, um, in your paid search accounts, you can say, okay, what keywords are actually driving? So like if, if it was a broad or a modified broad match um, keyword, you can start to so dig in and you can say, oh, it actually matched on this keyword and it drove a sale. So again, driving back and saying, okay, wh what am I driving sales on? It tends to be a really good place to start discovery as well. The problem with that is, is that like you might be so far off that you, you're missing the boat completely, right? And that's where yeah. it takes you know, really good merchandisers to sort of uh, nail that stuff down. Yeah, I also think it was interesting earlier when you were talking about like how to laminate without a laminator and thinking about kind of selling something through saying like, oh yeah, you don't need to buy through us. Like here's how you do it. Because I'm sure a lot of people, like you said, are searching for stuff like that or how to fax without a fax machine. I know I've like searched that quite a right. bit, but kind mm -hmm. of like making fun of it and you might actually be able to convert someone who's like, oh, I actually just do need a laminator to do this. But having yeah. like a humorous video video around that. Yeah. And as well as like, maybe they decide they want to buy some cold laminating pouches, right? So like the, yep. the, the idea is like, if you can be really helpful in the long term, I mean, uh, like kind of going back to that idea of videos. So we've done a lot of videos over the years. And we understand that many, many, many times people use our videos post-purchase, not pre-purchase. Right. So people mm -hmm. are going to the video to figure out how does this thing that I already bought work? Well, that doesn't really help us, but it does help us in the long term. Right. Like as you, as you look at it and say, it's not going to win us the sale today, but it will win us brand awareness. And it does potentially win you the supply sales because we're a very supply driven sort of space. If you think about it, like if you buy a binding machine, you got to buy some supplies for it. Right. So long term, we want to have an awareness and be in front of customers so they understand, you know, who we are when it comes time to buy the supplies that they need. Yeah. So just like you said, it's really important to continue to stay in front of that customer. So they come to you to buy, buy supplies and like, you know, remember you guys, how do you go about doing that and keeping a customer retained? Because it seems like it would be easier, you know, with these legacy customers who are maybe in these like year or three year long contracts. And now when you're moving towards like e-commerce and they can kind of hop around really quickly, it seems like you wouldn't be able to retain customers as easily. So how do you go about staying in front of them? There's a lot to that um, question, right? Um, but uh, I'll kind of give you like a, a maybe a, a general overview of our thoughts. Um, it, it's a big part of our business and something that's really important to us. So especially on the e-com side of things, it really starts with delivering like a really awesome experience upfront, right? Um, so you need to be able to help them find what they need and then deliver it to them in a, in a really like um, reasonable time frame or meet their deadline, all of that kind of stuff to so have the product in stock and, and, and all of those kind of pieces. And, and that's actually harder said than done when you deal with a really large sort of niche category. That's kind of the, the beginning piece of it. Once you've had given them that positive experience, or if they've had a negative experience, you use your customer service to, to basically earn a customer for life. And that's actually the motto of our customer service group, right? Earn a customer for life. So as you kind of look at, at, at this idea, you say, okay, well, we now have a shot at their business long-term. Okay, so now the, the challenge for us is, okay, what's the best way to reach them? The easiest way is email. So we have a ton of automation in our emails. We send emails based upon what you've purchased with replenishments. We send like life cycle campaigns based upon, you know, like welcome to the store, you know, anniversaries campaigns, and then also like best customer campaigns, win back campaigns and reactivation campaigns. So we have all these automations that go out and they, they're really helpful. 
we also have sales that go out on, on a weekly basis that, that sort of keep people engaged and sort of like uh, keep things um, front of mind for them. So mm -hmm. you kind of, you combine all of that on the email side, but then you recognize that that maybe only gets you like half of the customers, right? So the, the question yep. becomes, you know, like because there's a bunch that are opted out in the B2B space, it's really hard on deliverability to get into the inbox. You know, more and more people are using, uh, you know, advanced sort of filtering um, programs to prevent spam from getting through to their, their employees. So as you kind of look at that, you say, okay, well, email only takes you so far. So then what, what do you do? And so the, the real question is kind of back to that conversation we had earlier about like lead scoring. How do you determine your best customers or your best potential customers and make sure that you get somebody to call them? to send them a personal email, which are easier to get into their inbox or to find another way of touching them. And so for us right now, the two other ways of touching them that we're sort of exploring, one would be um, SMS um, and another would be direct mail. We're kind of in the process of like exploring a test on SMS, not too sure how we feel about it. Honestly, um, we have to figure out how our customers feel about it just from the standpoint of as you look at, uh, you know, customers giving their personal cell phones for business purchases, right. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and getting text messages, but you think about it, like that's, that's a great way to get in front of people, um, and stay in front of them as long as you can be super highly relevant. And then the other piece of it that, that we do a little bit of would be on that retargeting side of things. So mm -hmm. if you don't know who, who that customer is exactly, or don't have their ability to email them, you can at least sort of, if you can t tastefully do it, make sure you're sending or placing ads more frequently into their feeds on different platforms through retargeting. That makes sense. Yeah, it seems like from, especially an SMS perspective, it seems like the only angle you can go about is being helpful. Like, oh, you, you know, probably are running out of supplies, you know, order now, I don't know, you can get a discount or something. Like, it seems like there's not too many ways for B2B companies to use texting without, you know, the customer being like, oh, I don't want to be thinking about work right now, unless it's like a trigger for them to be like, oh, I need to reorder this or else we're not going to have it on Monday. Is that right. true? Or are you seeing other avenues? Well, the, the first step would be to, to be helpful with order cycle. So for instance, like think about what Amazon has done with allowing you to get a text when the item is delivered which is a big problem for a, a bunch of our customers, especially in pandemic, but even outside of that, like it might be delivered to a central desk or to the shipping and receiving area of their company. So um, like an alert. So alerts are a pretty good option for us to sort of get our toe in the water a little bit and to stay active. And then yes, like something that's personalized. And then also like what we're struggling with is like, what is the best time of day to do this? Probably don't want to send it to them, you know, in the middle of their evening right? They're yep. disconnected from work, but you also need to make sure that, you know, so it's got to be time adjusted for the time zone that they're in. And then it also really needs to be fall in their work day probably. And so, um, so uh, those are some of the things that we're um, sort of figuring out and testing right now and saying, you know, how, how is this, uh, how is this going? And then what's also the most appropriate way to collect where people don't sort of get freaked out because um, it's kind of one of those things like, it's like, do you want to get text messages from your binding company? I, I don't know. <laughs> like, yep. You got to ask, sure. <laughs> ask it in a, yeah, ask it in a, an appropriate way. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's a really good reminder. All right. So we have a couple minutes left and I want to jump into a quick lightning round brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer, Jeff. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm going to start with the hard one first for you because I feel like you're you're in the game right now. I got to keep it going. Okay. So what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? Well, I think obviously it's COVID, 
right? Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's pushing people um, online in completely new ways. Um, it's shifting customer expectations around a whole bunch of different things. You know, uh, it, it's, it's kind of ruined the Amazon two day expectation, which I don't mind, but it's also, um, but it's also shifted like the way that people shop, where they're shopping, how they're shopping and, and even their mentality. Um, and, uh, and I don't know that we even really totally understand how it's affected everybody yet because everybody's still sort of in this scrambling mode. But, you know, ultimately, I think as this shakes out, it's going to change the landscape of how we market, but it's also going to change the landscape of how our customers interact with us. Hmm, I like that. What one piece of advice would you give a new e-commerce entrepreneur? I would probably say stick with solving a customer's problems. You know, and and I know that's that tends to be a B2B thing, but it's not really a B2B thing, right? Like if you think about it, like I need the right sweater for me, right? I mean, like, so really be customer centric. That becomes really cliche. And that's why I go to the idea of like solving a problem, right? So you got to mm-hmm. think about like what sort of value proposition are you offering to this customer that's unique that is going to allow them to accomplish something that they wanted to accomplish when they came to your site. And so I think by focusing and being really focused on the customer problem, I think you can build out really awesome experiences. Um, and then that deep understanding of your customer will take you really, really far. That's a good one. What is your favorite day in the office? I'm trying to imagine what a binding company feels like. So what's your favorite day in the office feel like? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, most of my days are pretty full of meetings. So a, me- uh-huh. a day without meetings would be an awesome day in the office. Um, I think that's a lot of people. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, in, in the world of the binding company, you know, um, a, a day in the office doesn't look all that much different than a day in a normal office. It, it, it might be a little bit like an episode of The Office uh, someday. That's what I have but, in my mind, honestly. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, like paper company, you know. Um, so yep. so there is a little bit of aspects of that, but I mean, I, I mean, we're just like any other company. Um, we're a retailer, we're a distributor. We deal with customers all, all, all day long. You know, I would say the other thing, like the best day in the office is the day that, that you have customers that love you and that are just a uh, heap in praises, especially on the customer service people and, and your salespeople. Like when they, when you have customers who are just singing your praises, like th- those are great days. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm glad you mentioned the office and I didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? You know, um, I am super passionate about um, like entrepreneurship. So I'd probably do an entrepreneurship sort of uh, podcast, right? About, mm-hmm. about like starting a business, growing a business, like, you know, and the creativity that goes around that. And if I could get anybody on the show, um, you know, I, I would probably pick an entrepreneur. But, I, you know, like I, maybe I'd pick like the person from like Lemonade Stand. Or, you know, mm-hmm. like one of those organizations that's really like making a big impact on uh, starting up entrepreneurs with kids. Because that's, that's something that I really love. Yeah, I like that. Brings back the memories of my parents making me rake my neighbor's yards for like 25 cents, yeah. which was well below market. So Yeah, I, I think you could make at least 50 cents for that now. <laughs> I think so too. All right, Jeff. Well, this was very interesting. Such a good conversation. So many good tidbits that people can actually use from this interview. Where can people find out more about you and Spiral? 
Sure. So um, you can definitely visit one of our websites. We got spiralbinding.com. We have mybinding.com and binding101.com. Uh, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Shoot me a, a message and ask me to um, ask me to connect and uh, I'd love to meet you. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining, Jeff. You're welcome. Thank you. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.